Hello, this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, coming back to you with another video. And in this video, I have Larissa Morantz. Welcome. Hey, Deborah. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, I'm Larissa. I'm an illustrator, an educator, former animation artist. That's cool. what I do. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Sounds good. Where are you from and how is it going up? Uh, okay, so um, I am a daughter of a black father and a Filipino mother. I grew mm -hmm. up in a biracial family um, and I uh, was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, because my dad was in the Navy, met my mom in the Philippines, mm -hmm. and um, moved to California when I was young, decided that I wanted to be an artist when I started drawing comics from the uh, mm -hmm. Sunday Funnies. And um, my parents were really supportive of that. And uh, I uh, just wanted to, to draw all the time. And mm -hmm. that was what it was like growing up. It was just me drawing <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Did you have any siblings or anything? Yes, I have a, a younger sister. Um, mm -hmm. Her name's Yvette, and um, she is an amazing human being. And um, yeah, and I love her dearly. So, <laughs> so get more into like your journey in art and animation in your childhood. Like, what was I know you had an uncle who created a charcoal por portrait that you were enamored by. Yeah. So, how do we progress to maybe high school or college? Okay, so. Um, I, f I first realized that I, I really like to draw when I, um, I started looking at like the Sunday funnies and I just started drawing Charlie Brown and I didn't really know whether I was good at it or not, but my parents thought they saw that I was, I guess, and they were really supportive. Um, mm -hmm. So they would, you know, get me pencils and crayons, Crayola and all that other stuff. And my uncle who lives in the Philippines um, actually had a, a photography studio and he still does portraits and he still does photography and videography. But when my sister and I were young, he had taken a photo that um, my mom had sent him and he did a charcoal portrait of it, um, like a pastel charcoal portrait of it and then sent it back. And so this portrait of us sat in our bedroom on our bedroom wall. And I would just look at that every day um, when I was younger and um, I would just stare at it. And it was just amazing. And I would kind of like try to feel like, how did he do that? I would just stare at it and try and figure out like how in the like, what, what is going on with that? My little brain was just like, you know, trying to figure everything out. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's just kind of when it started is I liked to draw and then I was always looking at this portrait of us and that kind of made me think like, well, this is what's possible in mm -hmm. art, you know, because if you're, if you're drawing when you're a little kid and you have fun with it and um, you're not exposed to what the possibilities are and, yeah in that creative area, you know, then you just, you don't really know. And, and, and so I had, I had grown up at such a young age with knowing like the mastery that was uh, capable of being had with a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> so that was probably a really huge impact on me that I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so my parents were just super supportive of that. And um, I, when I went to 
when I went to high school, I think that was the first time actually, it was actually middle school. The first time I had an art class was in middle school. Mm -hmm. And that was the that was the experience I had where um, the instructor showed showed us how to draw something, and I sat down and you know I, I drew it, and then I looked around the classroom and no one else could do it, and it was like it was like the silliest thing. It was like cattails, and it was like it, it was like it looked like a hot dog with like a skewer going through it, and uh -huh. it was going in different directions. And then they he showed us how to draw mm -hmm. like a really simple UFO and just a cat or something like that. And I just looked around the room and was like, what is wrong with all these people? Why are they so bad at this? <laughs> and then everyone looked at myself and they're like, wow, like she's really good. And I didn't think that there was any difference between my skill level and anyone else's until that moment. Like I just thought everyone can draw. Mm -hmm. But now I realize that no, not everyone could draw. So I just, I just started to, you know, I continue to draw all my life, and and then I went into arts um, art class in high school, and um, I had art for. Thankfully, I had art classes in high school. I know a lot, not a lot of people have access to art classes, which is really, you know, yeah. it's really challenging if you don't. So I was thankful to have that uh, in in high school, and um, just did that the entire four years of high school. Uh, I think I was like most likely to succeed in the senior yearbook of the animation and or in, um, in senior yearbook. And I probably was like holding up one of the things that I did on uh -huh. the back of the yearbook. Um, and I ended up thinking like, okay, this is, this is what I'm good at. Like I'm mm -hmm. history, meh, math, meh, science, meh, English. Like I like English, but meh, I wasn't really good <laughs> at it. So, I mean, I really felt bad at everything, mm -hmm. everything. I couldn't do anything, literally, except for art. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna do art. And um, the funny thing was that when I was looking at colleges years and years and years ago, um, they didn't have a whole lot of majors. Like it was, you know, it was fine art. And then um, architecture, I'd taken architecture classes in, in high school and thought, well, that's creative, you know, that's really cool. And that, you know, you can have a job as an architect. So I actually wanted to become an architect and was looking at architecture as a major and then had a friend, a uh, family friend who let me go into his um, business and he um, he showed me around his, his architecture um, business and um, I was so excited, like, uh -huh. yeah, I'm gonna study architecture. And then, like at the very end, my mom and I were walking out and he's like, yeah, don't do this, Larissa, don't. You're, and I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you're too creative. You can't, this is not a creative field. Like you, uh -huh. you're creative, but you won't be able to be creative in this field until you've done years and years and years of work. Because up until then, you're just like building other people's stuff. Like, yeah. and, and so, so that was, <laughs> like oh okay now what do I do um, right so I understood that I liked to draw so I mm -hmm. was just looking at like drawing and painting majors mm -hmm. um so I, I went into drawing and painting and um went to Cal State Fullerton and did drawing and painting and um loved it um but the like the last year or two one of uh some of my friends started taking these really fun classes um that were more geared towards animation. And uh, the um, mm -hmm. there were these animation classes that started popping up, these really small ones. And um, 
things with like storyboarding and sequential art and like different types of figure drawing that wasn't like totally long poses, but were more quick studies yeah. and gestures mm -hmm. and stuff. And so I was like, oh, this looks like fun. Like these people in these classes over here in the animation classes, like they're way more fun than like the the fine art classes that I was taking. Mm -hmm. So um, I just started going in that direction. And um, yeah, that's because they were saying, because I live in Orange County and mm -hmm. um, I know you're in, in the LA area. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in college, you're like, can you job, you know, and everyone, and, and everyone has heard the whole like, well, you can't really get a job in art, you know, so what are you gonna do? How are you gonna, mm -hmm. what are you gonna do? And I wanted to teach, but then at some point someone said, well, if you want to teach, you're going to have to go get your master's degree and mm -hmm. you're going to have to write a thesis. And for some reason, I was like, oh, my God, I have to write a thesis. Like, there's no way I could write a thesis. That's just so scary. Um, so I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to teach because I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to go. I don't want to spend more years in school to get a job like I want to go get a job. I just mm -hmm. want to go do something. So. Um, I said, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna teach. I'm just, I'm gonna go get a job. And everybody was talking about the animation industry it was like, mm -hmm. you know, we're close to LA, about an hour away. And um, so that's how it started. It was just like, let's, we all go out, me and my friends all go out with our sketchbooks and we, uh, you know, we go to nightclubs and draw people. Like we'd be like the losers on the back table, like, with our beer and our sketchbooks and drawing people and everyone else is just like talking and stuff. And we're like, that's definitely the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. So that's, and, and so that's how I kind of like went towards that path towards the animation. <laughs> or you all were on the cutting edge cause you know, they have drinking draws now. So yeah, that's true. They do. Yeah, we were doing drink and draws before they were actually drink and draws. Yes. <laughs> before well, it was a thing. <laughs> so did have you ever gotten to tackle like the style of that portrait that you looked at all those yes. times? Did you ever figure out how to do that? Yes, yes, I did. In fact, that was, that's interesting that you asked that because um, for, the senior for for senior year um, in high school, I had my I had this art project um, that I done. It was a like probably about eighteen inch by twenty four portrait charcoal uh, pencil portrait graphite portrait, and I told my instructor like this is going to take me a long time. And I I did the grid method where you grid it off and then you just mm -hmm. focus like super super hyper focused on one square at a time. And I just yeah. inched my way across that thing all the way until it was done. And um, and when it was done, it was you know it was like super hyper realistic. The black man holding his face. Like it was a Muhammad Ali's um, um, trainer. And I can't even remember the name. I I found a photograph from a magazine, because this is what you did back right. in the day. You like go through the National Geographics and the magazines and you tear pictures and stuff. And then you like mm -hmm. use that as your references before the internet. Right. And <laughs> so uh, that's what I did. And and so that that pencil portrait is hanging in my, my, um, mm -hmm. my dad's house. And um, yeah, it's that same level right. that my, my Uncle Benji had, uh, had done at least that I thought I did. 
So. Yeah, when I moved to California, I had to throw away all my magazines because I was I that I never went through. Like I collected like like different like Oprah magazine like stuff because I was like wanted to look through for like black people to like draw, and then I never looked through. I had like so many little cases, and then I I'm like, well, I'm trying to pare down. So uh, I tried to recycle them, but you know, Louisiana doesn't have like recycle like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, I gotta throw these away. It's so funny because it's like, you're like, oh, I'm going to save these. I'm going to use these. I'm going to use these. And you just hold on to them forever and ever and ever. And then you're like, yeah, I'm never going to use these. <laughs> and then you find out about this thing called Pinterest. Right. <laughs> which literally renders all your magazines, you know, totally pointless. And all you have to do is go on Pinterest and like spend like hours and hours scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And you just got, you know, infinite access to amazing photo reference so <laughs> does away with that big old black that big old box of magazine tear sheets that is heavy it is um, heavy. so why do you love animation someone says hey you can draw all day long and i will pay you to draw and then when you're done drawing you're going to get to like work with these really creative group of people. And then you're all gonna get to sit in a room and look at the stuff that you did. And then you're gonna show it to the world and the world's gonna be like, wow, that's really cool. And and everyone's happy. <laughs> that's, that was my, that's my uh, feeling about working in animation. Um, but why did I love animation? I mean, it's, it's just, it's cool. <laughs> it's just like, it's all kinds of stories. It's you know, story. Have you seen it? <laughs> I mean, you've seen animated shows, right? There's just so <laughs> there's so many in different directions you can go with younger stories, with you know, adult stories, and just the humor. It can be so sweet. It can be sick. It can be gruesome. It can be just totally offensive. But it's all it's there's so much potential and there's so much creativity in it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's all coming from the minds of, you know, these, these creative people and these, these artists. And, and I just, I don't know, it's just so fun. <laughs> I know that's not a very thorough. <laughs> uh, it's your answer, answer, but it's a great answer. It's my, it's my answer. Yeah. So some projects that you've worked on, Rugrats and Rocket Power, and then you've illustrated loads of books like yeah. for the same properties and Avatar, Avatar, Avatar the Last Airbender, yeah. And all that type of stuff. So um, how did you break into the animation industry? What was your experience? And then how'd you leave? <laughs> how'd I get in? Yeah. And then how did I exit? Yeah, I mean, I was really only in the animation industry for less than five years, um, mm -hmm. which is, I, as you know, it is hard. It is hard to get in, mm -hmm. right? Um, I graduated from college, um, Cal State Fullerton. I didn't even have an animation degree because they didn't have an animation degree. I had a drawing and painting degree. And I went to school for about a year or two after that, studied with like Carl Ganass, Glenn um, Vilpu, um, which is interesting because I'm going to be teaching a class right after him with New Masters Academy, like on Friday. So just kind of crazy that that's <laughs> happening. Um, but um, 
took classes at the Animation Union, um, took classes at the Animation Academy with um, Charles Zimbalis mm -hmm. and um, study with people like um, Joe Weatherly, who was a classmate of mine, Stephen Silver and Jose Lopez and just all kinds of really talented, amazing people. Mm -hmm. um, and I just kept, you know, kept working at it. I remember Joe Weatherly was telling us at, um, when we were at Cal State Fullerton, and like, y'all are gonna have to drive from Orange County to LA, like just get used to that hour drive. Cause a lot of us at the time were like, oh, it's so far. <laughs> he was telling us, you guys are whiners. Don't, right. don't be whining, you know, just drive, go to LA and just get used to the drive. And so that's just what we did. We just got used to, you know, driving an hour and a half to take our classes. So studied, um, then um, there were some small, little animation studio in Santa Ana that um, one of my friends got a job at. And then I was like, hey, can I can I meet you for lunch or something? And maybe I can get a job there too. So then I ended up working there. And, mm -hmm. and that's how I always tell my friends or that's how I always tell my students it, now is that um, if you're in college or the, the crew or community that you have, that it's that your community is important because you're all looking for jobs. and. Mm -hmm. um, when one of you gets a job, <laughs> then you go and you make connections with those people that they're with that they know, and mm -hmm. and you you help each other out. At least that's that's how it happened for me. So um, I ended up working at the small animation studio doing like cleanup animation, and um, then I heard um, Rugrats was hiring Plasky Cheapo. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of other studios that were hiring constantly, but I just was, con I was always working on my portfolio and, you know, drive driving it up to LA, dropping it off at all these different um, studios and, you know, and then driving back to pick up my portfolio with a rejection letter and stuff. And that was really a bummer, but that's just what you did. And mm -hmm. uh, I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it and I kept doing it. And uh, uh, then, Charles Zimbellis um, at the Animation Academy he had a friend who was working um, on the Rugrats, Sharon mm -hmm. Ross. And um, she's now, she's over Family Guy and um, Fox Family. And um, it's always about the people that you're connecting with, you know? Yeah. So it was my instructor who had a friend. She said, hey, we're looking for people. And he told me, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go over there and try and get a job. And so, you know, I tried and I submitted my portfolio. And she, and and what's great is when, when you stop getting the rejections and, and your rejections aren't just a no, but it's a no, but, you know, mm -hmm. and that but dot, 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 that's the hope when you know you're yeah. getting close. So then it was like, no, but dot, 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 you know, we might have an opening later or whatever. And so mm -hmm. that's when things start to shift. And so I had been working really hard and, you know, trying to improve my, my drawing skills and stuff. And, and then when you, when you get that dot, 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 you just, you just keep, you just keep knocking on that door, but not like, you know, a stalker. Right. <laughs> just, you're just like, and then you wait. Hey, remember <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Maybe though, maybe it's time. I haven't heard back. And so, yeah, you just keep doing that, you know, connecting and, and, and that's, that's basically what happened is um, I, it's also, it it's also being friendly and saying, you know, I'm, I'm willing to work 
on mm -hmm. the things that I need to work on and I am going to be a hard worker and I am dedicated and um, just all the things that show that you are a person who is um, a good collaborator and that mm -hmm. you can bring something to a team project, um, not just with your skills, but with your interpersonal skills. That's really mm -hmm. important because it's, you know, you're working with people. And um, so I think that's really part of what happened. Um, and I think that's usually what happens with me anyway, is that I, I, I do show that I can work hard. And I think that's mm -hmm. important that people do show that they can work hard and that they're dedicated, but that also that you're somebody that people would want to work with, you know, yes. um, <laughs> and that you can bring something to mm -hmm. the team, you know, that's uplifting or, you know, fun or just serious and, and focused on creating the best work that you can do for the project and, mm -hmm. and not for yourself. So I think that's what it was. So how was your experience uh, during that time? And then how, why did you end up leaving? Oh yeah. So my exit. So, um, so I ended up getting a job on the Rugrats and um, Rocket Power. And um, I actually got hired while I was pregnant with my firstborn. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. My boss is female, her boss is female, and her boss is female. So it was really nice to have that supportive, you know, environment of people who understand what it's like to be a woman. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that was, that was really great. Um, I, my exit was because I was, um, I had just had my second child. And I missed out a lot on my youngest um, mm -hmm. one, who, you know, missed his first walk and, you know, was first this and first that because I was, I was working. And mm -hmm. although they were really flexible about working from home and working in studio, I, I was able to, to, you know, do commute and work half half in studio and then half at home. And of course now everybody, you know, everyone knows that everyone can work from home. So, <laughs> right. which is, I mean, the animation industry right now is like the, everyone is working from home and it's like, yes, right. we can, everyone can do that. That's totally a legitimate thing. It's possible. Um, so I had to prove that mm -hmm. back then because nobody really did that. Um, right. But I also, I, I knew that I wanted to be at home for my daughter. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I say this all the time, I knew that I was replaceable at the studio. Like, even though it took me so long to get a job, mm -hmm. anybody talented enough, you know, with skills could have done what I did, but mm -hmm. there was only one mother to my child. And even though she was being raised um, by my husband and my, my mother-in-law who were, you know, were, she was amazing for coming and helping us, mm -hmm. you know, with the kids, I just knew it doesn't, you can have a lot of people loving your children, mm -hmm. right? Um, but they only have one mother right. and I wanted to be there for her. So that's why I exited. But one of the things that made it easier for me to exit was um, transitioning what I was going to do because mm -hmm. part of what I thought of was, um, look, it took me so long to, to get the skills to, to yeah. get a job. And I was only in this industry for like less than five years. What I, I can't just let this stuff atrophy. Like I've got all this knowledge, like what am I going to do with it? So, um, I started, um, 
I started teaching a class with Charles and Billis at the Animation Academy. And mm -hmm. that was that was the light bulb when I was like, oh, I can teach people. <laughs> I can teach people <laughs> what I what I know. And I, oh wait, I did want to be a teacher. <laughs> That's right. Okay, okay, then I'm gonna do that. So um that was really the thing that made me go, yes, I can I can leave and I can still be creative and I can teach people. And then also um I started illustrating um, picture books for um, Nickelodeon. And I, I had started doing that before I left the studio. Um, mm -hmm. The Rugrats are really kind of ugly, wonky, <laughs> crazy, hard to draw characters. And mm -hmm. and um, so the um, publishing companies would go to like the studio and ask the talent at the studio, like, okay, well, we need these books. So mm -hmm. you guys can already draw the books. So like, can you draw this book? And so that's, that's how it happened. Um, some, like some of the people that were working in the animation studio were already doing books. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I, I started doing that as well. And, and I actually was working on a book um, while I was, pregnant or um, actually not while I was pregnant, but while I was um, nursing my mm -hmm. third child. So um, it's just, that was my transition. It was, mm -hmm. okay, I can take my skills and I can leave the studio and I can teach and I can illustrate books. And that's how I ended up working with um, Simon and Schuster um, and doing a bunch of their, you know, Rugrats books. And I did, mm -hmm. a, uh, I did a Lazy Town book and, um, yeah, but it was all licensed properties, like Nickelodeon's yeah. licensed properties. So that's that's how that worked out. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, I wish my my like drawings weren't in storage because I would be like, here's my Chucky drawing, and then here's my Tommy drawing, and here's my Angelica drawing. I'm picturing them in my head, but they're all they're all in storage. they're all in the storage <laughs> back in Louisiana. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, my storage is in Texas, out of, out of all places. Didn't know that was going to happen, but hey, here we are. <laughs> Man, I was like, I'm moving to LA. I I'm guessing the storage will be in LA. Absolutely not. Something to check. You know, when you have these slip ups and being adult, adulting, you're like, sometimes you're like excited because you think of a question to ask where the answer is like, oh, I'm glad I asked that question. But then there's other times where you're like, ah, I should have asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not a full adult. <laughs> You're getting there. You get <laughs> adults make adult mistakes too. Don't, right. <laughs> so. don't think that it's not because you're not an adult. It's just because, you know, this people that's just how the brain works sometimes, you know. I mean, I see I saw a meme where it was like in your twenties, you're like thinking that you'll know all this stuff, but then in your thirties you're like, Oh yeah, nobody knows anything. Like so it's it's freeing. <laughs> To realize as you get older, you're, you're, you're everybody just moving day by day. Nobody really knows what they're doing per se. <laughs> so the sooner yeah. you learn that, the freer you are. <laughs> it's, I think the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. And that's the thing. When you're young, you're like, I know so much. And you're walking around being like, I know this. I know that. I know that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I got gotcha. you. I know that. And then as you get older, you're like, hmm, I think there's a little bit more I need to know and a little bit more I need to learn. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that's just the thing. There's a circle of knowledge. Okay. There's, there's right. always like what you know mm -hmm. and what you know that you don't know. Mm -hmm. But then there's this outside circle that's like, you don't even know that you don't know it. The and it's big. It's big. <laughs> 
and you don't even know that you don't know it. You don't even like, you don't get to that point till you even know that that's a space when you're older. So, but before then you're just like, I know this, I know that. And here's stuff that I don't know, but that's fine. Cause I can learn it. So yeah, don't be hard on yourself. Yeah, there's like a Socrates or Plato quote where it was like, um, as soon as you think you know everything, you don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, for real. So you designed Aunt T for the Rugrats. How was that experience designing a black character for a popular TV show? Oh, that was really cool. So first of all, I just was really thankful that. Um, I got to do, to, to be a part of that um, Kwanzaa episode. Um, mm -hmm. Cause I like, I, I didn't mention this but I actually grew up watching the regrets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, not grow up, but I mean, I, you know, I was in high school. So I watched Rugrats in high school. And um, so we had a, a black director, Anthony mm -hmm. Bell. And um, it, was, it was really great that since, you know, it was like, it was me and Anthony Bell like the black people in the studio so they're like well we have to have the black people in the studio work on the kwanzaa episode it's like yeah uh-huh you better so right. so um that was great because i got to yeah i got to design irma p hall when she came into the studio and i got to watch her do her voice acting and stuff and i just kind of did some sketches of her mm -hmm. and then um yeah that was just it was really cool working with anthony um designing her character and stuff it was great and um I mean, it's a it's a cool little episode, and mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's just nice that it's nice to be able to say that I that I did that, and mm -hmm. I didn't even realize at the time maybe how important that was. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I really thought of how important that was until like now that the Rugrats have kind of got this resurgence of popularity and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so. But, you know, it was just a show, I tell everybody. It was just a show. It was just a job, you know. And it was a really fun job. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool the time to say that I worked on the show. But and it's just weird that now people are like, oh, Rugrats. I'm like, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, let's see here. What would you say? Uh, have been the biggest breakthroughs in your career, whether it's related to the animation industry or your teaching or whatever? Huh. I mean, I always talk about how just getting into the animation was such a feat in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, I think, mm -hmm. like, I think one really big breakthrough was... Um, See, because I study drawing and painting, and um, I I knew that I wanted a job, but I still was really like a fine artist, you know. Mm -hmm. and that's how I was trained for most of my in college. Um, so when um, back in two thousand eight, when uh, when Obama was um, coming around the corner mm -hmm. before he was president, and um, there was this contest to to paint Obama's portrait. And at the time, God, this is so long ago, but at the time there was just so many photos of him everywhere, like on magazine covers and things like that. And mm -hmm. when I had painted uh, this portrait of Obama um, for this contest and I actually like made 
you know, didn't win the, the contest, but um, had my artwork chosen as one of the finalists, um, mm -hmm. that's, that was huge. Mm -hmm. That was huge because then my artwork got to be, you know, exhibited and stuff. And that was in, um, in Washington, DC. And then that was really cool. So that was so, my break. So with that one, I, so what, what was the junk mail story? Was that with that yeah. or something else? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that is the junk email story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is um, the junk email story where I, uh, I had submitted my artwork and um, it was the notification, the notification that I was, a, that um, not that I was a finalist, but the notification that I was invited to participate in the Washington DC gallery came into my junk email. Mm -hmm. And normally I just trash it, but there was something that day that was just like, mm, just look, just look. So I looked and that, there it was. And it was crazy because this second I opened it and read it, um, I, it was an invitation. It was like, okay, you had painted this portrait and the mm -hmm. portrait of Obama that I had painted went to, um, was it was displayed during the Democratic National Convention. And so this was an invitation to be a part of like the inauguration pop-up gallery in um, Washington, DC. And so yeah. the minute that I had opened that email and they were inviting me to paint something, it was like, shoom, I have an idea. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. <laughs> And um, it was like totally, completely envisioned in my mind, mm -hmm. and um, and and I and I got pretty darn close to mm -hmm. what I had envisioned in mm -hmm. the process. Um, but this this email came December twenty sixth, uh, mm -hmm. and the inauguration is January twentieth, and the painting had to be done before. The inauguration and it had to be sent and hung so i literally had 10 days from the time that i had the email i had 10 days to make a painting and ship it to washington you tell an artist didn't send this email <laughs> they're like oh art is easy 10 days <laughs> well okay so the person who sent it yossi Sargent, is um shepherd he worked with shepherd fairy and he was actually responsible for shepherd fairies um, you know, being, becoming so big. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, so he's, he manages, you know, those things and he's, he's an amazingly creative person. Um, and he's amazing at, um, he has a task force. He's amazing at, at creating these huge active, um, like, uh, shows and engaging mm -hmm. the artistic community to, do activism work and use their art to push out messages of, you know, of progressive, you know, mm -hmm. ideas and stuff. And so that was really cool. That So in terms of breakthrough for me, that was the really big thing because, um, you know, I was just, it, just having, having my work seen on at such a huge level mm -hmm. like that. And then um, being in part of a, such a big event and such a, big show and then getting to meet like other artists like Shepherd Fairy and all these other people that had their work at the show was, you know, was, was pretty darn cool. <laughs> so. so how would you describe your art style? 
<laughs> it's all over the place. I mean, it depends on it depends on what it is that I'm doing. Like I just started doing more expressive stuff in my sketchbook mm-hmm. literally last night. Um, and I mean, if you're if you're working in animation, <laughs> your style has to be simple enough so that it can be duplicated in the pipeline mm-hmm. of designers, storyboard mm-hmm. artists, layout artists, animators, things like that. So you're working with limited line and shape language and you know communicating these ideas of characters and story and personality and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So when I'm working, when I was working in animation or when I'm working for projects that are based on that, that those are the constraints. So yeah. you understand that going in, you're if you're going to design, like if you're designing a character for animation, it's probably it, it should be different than if you're designing a character for a game art, you know, or for an illustrated picture book, because yeah. you still have to be mindful of the design aspects, um, you know, the principles of what makes design a, a given design appealing, but you have to be mindful of what's the end result where is this going what's the mm-hmm. what's the end use of this thing you know so that's those are the considerations that i think of in terms of what what i'm going to do stylistically mm-hmm. um you know i have and, and even in my picture book illustration portfolio i have a huge range of styles um yeah. and i think that's probably why some people um that's why I get chosen for certain projects because they think they see my my breadth, you know, mm-hmm. my my extensive ability of you know doing it in different ranges. And part of it is because you know, being a character designer, you have to understand how to make things on model. <laughs> That's yeah. one of the things that I would always look at, like whenever I would see Rugrat stuff, because I was so cued in on how to make these characters look on model. Anytime I saw something that looked a little wonky, I was like, mm, that's off model. Oh, off model. <laughs> um, but it it comes it it comes from um being a portrait artist. So I actually never talked about this, but I did portraits um in high school. That was probably my first um entrepreneurial job is um, mm-hmm just drawing people's portraits and doing that like at street fairs and um, art art fairs all over the place um, on weekends and stuff. And capturing a portrait, you have to get the likeness and there's a certain, yeah. you know, there's a certain way of doing that. You have to understand spatial relationships between the negative space of a person's features and then the actual space of the features themselves and how they mm-hmm. relate to everything and how they all work together in this gestalt, you know, overall thing to make yeah. a likeness look like a likeness. And then when you're doing caricatures, mm-hmm. it's un- it's still the same thing, but it's understanding those relationships and then exaggerating them in an mm-hmm. appealing and fun way. So it's the person still recognizable as whoever they are with those characteristics, but it's it's a different take. And right. so I think my understanding of, you know, portraiture and caricature has helped me to be able to emulate other styles because like that little kid in my bedroom looking at the artwork on the wall, like just trying to figure out how that was done. I think I've always, it's that analytical brain in me. I'm just always mm-hmm. like, how did they do that? And I'm always deconstructing things constantly. And I know this, that's how my brain works. I understand that's how my brain works now. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably why it's it's easier mm-hmm. for me 
And I actually use that same principle when I'm teaching art classes too. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like breaking and I know you teach art too, or mm -hmm. you teach classes. So it's like, how do you teach someone how to do something? You have to tell them, we have to understand how the process works. Yeah. You break it down into simple steps so that it can be duplicated. Well, it's like art, how do you, <laughs> it's just this big, you know, amorphous thing. How do you break that down? Well, there's ways of doing it. So once you figure out the process then, and you create these kind of like step-by-step, -step, you know, yeah. methods, then it, it, then it can be duplicated. So, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So when did you start OC Art Studios? Like how did it start? How has it grown? What is what is your goal? Yeah, so I started uh, OCR Studios kind of started um, in a strange way. Um, I started teaching art classes in um, my garage um, to my my son, who was uh, mm -hmm. young at the time. And um, the, the art classes grew from my garage to um, with just a couple of kids to a couple more kids that I didn't know because then parents started telling their other friends and I started teaching yeah. kids. I had no idea who they were. Yeah. And, uh, and then a friend of mine said, you know, you should teach these classes at uh, the elementary school. And I was like, nah, nah I don't want to do that. That's uh, too much work. You know, like um, <laughs> I got paperwork, like, oh, I don't want paperwork. I don't want to do yeah. paperwork. Like the whole, the whole I, idea of like being a teacher and the thesis doing a master's in just like all that stuff scared me. So like the paperwork scared me going <laughs> which is really dumb at the time but I ended up I ended up doing it and um I started teaching classes at my art classes at my kids elementary school and then I started okay. like just branching out to other elementary schools in the area and I and I needed help because I couldn't do it by myself so mm -hmm. I ended up hiring other art art instructors to work alongside me mm -hmm. and then I ended up um hiring those art instructors to like teach additional classes and then other schools were finding out about what I was doing and then I couldn't teach everything and then I needed more instructors and it just kind of grew from there and I ended up at one point like having like you know 30 I don't know we were at like 30 schools or something it was ridiculous um but we were teaching at um we were teaching at three different school districts and I had like um 15 different instructors and just going all over the place teaching everything from like cartooning and like drawing and painting and watercolor classes and comics classes and everything and, and it was it was fun it was really cool um and and that was all elementary school kids you know Nice. Um, and, and, and so, but what happened, obviously we had the pandemic and that, you know, put a kibosh on all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I started, I started narrowing down the classes because it got really hard to manage. Yeah. And, um, when the pandemic hit and all the school shut down, I just shut, you know, I shut down those art studios and stopped doing mm -hmm. that. But, um, I started doing online classes just like everyone mm -hmm. else, but I wasn't trying to get the kids because I knew that the kids, like the teachers were like, oh, well, there's YouTube, you know, go to YouTube. And mm -hmm. so I was like, how can I compete with YouTube? I just, cause I'm not on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I had wanted to be on YouTube years ago, but never, never went in that direction. Um, so I had already been teaching, um, high school students, um, how to prepare their portfolios for college. And mm -hmm. I got, I'd helped a lot of students get into their chosen 
art colleges by helping them put their portfolios together. So I thought I'll just, you know, I'll teach a class like that. And Do you still um, have a hundred percent success. What's that? Do you still have a hundred percent success? Um, they've all, let's see, all the people that have gotten that I've helped to get into uh, an art college, I think it's probably like 99%. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. You know, it's, it's a lot of work to be a high school student in art and to put a portfolio together for college. It's just, I mean, getting, going to, putting your stuff together for college is hard enough, you know, just yeah. the application process alone and the, the um, writing your, you know, your application um, essays, you know, your personal yeah. essays and things like that. And then, Oh, guess what? You have to put a portfolio together and, and guess what? I know you want to learn how to do art, but you have to show us that you know how to do art before we teach you how to, to do art. You know, I so, could have went Savannah College of Art and Design, but they required a portfolio and Rochester Institute of Technology didn't. So I applied to RIT. <laughs> got we'll it. teach you, but you got to show us, you know what you're doing before we teach you. And so like, I was like, mm, what? And I did the same thing. Like mm -hmm. I put, I went to school for two years, community college, so that I could transfer to a college as, you know, a junior. Cause I was trying to, you know, trying to get that job. Right. So I I took my portfolio and went to like Art Center and CalArts and, you know, the different art schools. And they were like, oh, yes, you have a lovely portfolio. We'll let you in. But you got to start over. You got to start over as a freshman. I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. So I just I didn't go. I didn't go because. I personally was just like, I'm on the fast track. I need a job. Like, I don't want to wait another two years. Mm -hmm. I don't want to start over. I So I I transferred to Cal State Fullerton. I transferred mm -hmm. to Cal State Fullerton. I didn't even need a portfolio. But then, you know, I that's what I did, you know, just like mm -hmm. you. But, you know, doing, so anyway, doing, putting a college portfolio together for submission to an art mm -hmm. college is really challenging. And so I had been helping students do that with some good success. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to teach a class online, maybe I can do something like that, like a, mm -hmm. and I, and I call it my drawing for animators and illustrators class. And this is the class that I'm still teaching, like, and I, you know, teach tomorrow. Um, but mm -hmm. I started this last year and, and it, it, it happened right around the time where the social unrest over the mm -hmm. summer, happened, yeah, you know, so you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, and people were out in the streets, and everyone I mean, the world was like on the world was on fire anyway, yeah, and then that happened. Yeah. And here's little Larissa just trying to run an art class, and I'm like, why? <laughs> why is this important? This is so dumb, like, but I feel like that around that time was when I kind of like. Cause that's when I got back on Twitter. Cause I was like not on Twitter before then, but that's when it was like, okay, that's how I kind of found you during that time. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like from my personal perspective, after the George Floyd incident and then Brianna Williams from black and animated just like tweeted hire more black animators. And then it was like this takeoff of the first wave was 
um, talking about hiring more black professionals in the animation and maybe the comic book industry. And the second wave was like a lot of dudes get in trouble for sexual assault in the comic book and animation industry. And then the third wave was schools getting in trouble for being racist. <laughs> so. I was on that third wave too. Yes. Oh Lord, let me tell you, that was so hard. So being yeah. a part of a private university and art school and you know, dedicating a good chunk of my life to a school and then finding out that they just aren't supportive mm -hmm. of, you know, of their BIPOC instructors or students mm -hmm. um, in the way that they should have been mm -hmm. was really hard. It was yeah. really hard. And I and I and I left because it, and it was happening all over the place. I mean, yeah. at the time. And the stuff you tweeted out regarding your coworker and stuff like that, when I was doing my research for this interview, I was like, oh, that was her. <laughs> I remember reading that. And <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I ended up making the school trend on Twitter because I was talking about it. And it was so crazy because it's like, <sighs> This is my experience as a black woman mm -hmm. um, educator. And um, I'm just gonna put it out there that mm -hmm. this is how, this is the injustice that I feel here. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, guess what? Pandora's box opens. Everybody else had some kind of similar experience. And these things go unnoticed because everyone's just dealing with their own suffering and their own pain and not sharing about it. And then as soon as someone says, oh, this is, I have not felt safe or I have not felt heard or seen um, or cared about in this particular community. And then other people go, what? Me too. Same thing. And, and that's when you realize it's not an individual problem. It's a systemic problem. Yeah. And it's a systemic problem that runs deep and I just was, I was done. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go teach on my own terms and um, I'm just going to do my own thing. And so yeah. that's why I started. Um, it was, I, I started bringing um, some other instructors in with me to teach alongside with me. Um, Caleb Cleveland, Danny Vondere, they're really great. Eden Barber is my teacher assistant. She's amazing. Um, but, and they're super talented, but at the time it was, I didn't even think of it. I was just trying to get my class filled during the time when everyone was like screaming about <sighs> the things that we had been screaming out about for years, for right. decades, you know, yeah. the, the injustices and the racism. And, and I just thought like, why, why is art? why is failing my art class so important? It just felt so unimportant. And mm -hmm. that's when people were like, wait a second, you know what? Let's do something about this. And so people mm -hmm. started donating mm -hmm. um, to sponsor a student, a mm -hmm. black student. And mm -hmm. then, oh, guess what? You're a black woman. I'm gonna support you in what you're doing. And it was mm -hmm. just, it was like the floodgates open. It was an amazing thing. And I had no idea it was gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I just went with it. I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I am going to offer my classes to as many 
black artists as I can because it's a virtual space. It's not right. a brick and mortar space where I have a limited capacity of like, oh, I only have 30 chairs. No, I have a Zoom room limit of 100. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so until I can pay for the next level up, like mm -hmm. that's how many students I can get. So every student that pays for the class helps to fund the run fund the class so that it runs. Yeah. And then once I'm running the class, then I can open it up to as many BIPOC creators as possible. And I was focusing on specifically black artists mm -hmm. at the time because that's where the need is, you know? Yeah. I just would like to say that I did send the link to my niece, but I highly doubt she took your class. <laughs> still time. So teenagers like yeah. <laughs> and execution. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so what would you say is the difference between teaching like maybe itty bitties or younger children to adults? Like, I know, I know there's stuff that's in adults where we have to like unlearn and then learn, but what's the difference? Well, okay. I'll actually talk about what the similarities are before I talk about the differences, because, you know, obviously we know the difference in that kids are kids and adults are adults, but the similarities is that they, everybody gets joy from creating something from nothing. And when you're able as an educator to break something down and explain it in such a way that that information can be taken in and processed and then duplicated by a student, and then you can see the joy that they have from mm -hmm. the creation that they've done on their own based on what mm -hmm. you told them or what you directed them to do, that's like, ageless, you know, from yes. five to, you know, 88 or whatever. In fact, I had a friend <laughs> over the other day who was like, yeah, the only reason why I could draw a cup was because I had a professional artist sitting there showing me how to draw it step by step. And I said, see, but you could do it. You know, everybody wants to be able to have pride mm -hmm. in their accomplishments and what yeah. they can do. And it's frustrating. And I know this from experience because this is how I felt in math and science and history. <laughs> And English, it's so frustrating when someone is explaining something to you and you just don't get it. Right. And it's like you feel like there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your brain. And then add on that they could be a horrible teacher as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, they just like you ask a question and they just repeat what they said. But <laughs> like, obviously, I didn't get it the first time. So I need it. Say it in a different way, please. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Like I didn't understand it the first time. So why are you telling me again? Cause I still don't get it. Yeah. And wait, but when you're a kid, you don't know if a teacher is good or bad. Yeah. You just know I'm not getting it. Right. I'm not getting it. Something's wrong with me. So I know what that feels like deeply. I it's, it's a frustrating thing to not understand something and and to try and to want to understand something and just not get it because your brain is just not, you know, whether your whether your brain is capable of understanding it or not. I so, but I'll tell you, <laughs> my daughter's um, fourth grade uh, teacher explained math to me with the new the new what's the new way of teaching math? Yeah, and I know so many people hate Common Core and they hate. They hate the way math is taught in Common Core, but I'm gonna tell you that I got it. Like she explained <laughs> it to me and it was like the first time I understood math ever because it was just a different 
process. It's like, oh, I don't have to put the numbers and carry the numbers and do like this thing. It was a, it was a totally different, it was conceptual in a way that I understood it. So, you know, maybe I could have been better at math if I had common core when I was younger and I wouldn't hate it so much. I mean, but to this day, I'm right. still, I'm terrified of numbers. I'm numerically <laughs> challenged. Um, but so this it's, it's all about, it's all about, um, for me, just being able to take a concept and make it simple enough mm -hmm. so that it can be consumed by someone else. And then being able to explain it enough in a way so that they can take that in there on their own and duplicate it on their own and then yeah. show someone else how to do it. So a lot of times with my kids' classes, after I show them how to draw something, I'll tell them, go home and tell your teacher parents. Go home and teach your little brother, or your little sister, or your older brother, or older sister, how you did this. Because then yeah. that solidifies the process of what they just yeah. learned. And then my favorite thing is like hearing the parents from years ago when the parents would say, oh yeah, you know, you guys were drawing dinosaurs. Like Johnny came home, was drawing dinosaurs all week and showed his little brother how to draw dinosaurs. So that's when you know the concepts are clear enough because yeah. they're, they're just off and running. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I love teaching. I love teaching all ages. And in fact, I just, I just taught um, a comics class mm -hmm. to Google. <laughs> uh, it was during, it was for a, um, they had a summer event and this event planner had contacted me and said, oh, we need you, uh, we want you to teach comics classes to um, this tech company. This, um, they're having an event and uh, we're looking for different like um, mm -hmm. enrichment providers or whatever. And, and they said, yeah, can you do it? I said, absolutely. Like I, I do this all the time. And then mm -hmm. um, they sent me the link and it was like, the link was like Google blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, is this Google as in the meetup or Google the company? And <laughs> it was Google the company and I had no idea. So yeah, I taught, I taught comics classes to some people at Google a couple weeks ago <laughs> nice. and, and they got it. <laughs> so that was fun. Yeah. I would like to add in the, cause I, I, I teach like 3d and I, I had a, I tutored like a kid um, who had Asperger's and to like, and this goes for any kind of kid or, or student where you like are telling them, okay, because sometimes when people are in 3D, they are, they're trying to change things, but they're like so far away or they're like at an angle where you can't like, okay, turn it around so you can see <laughs> or something like that. And so to have to tell him to do that a couple of times and then he like starts to naturally do it. I'm like, I, I taught him man how to do that. <laughs> and that, that's the joy yeah. of teaching, right? When you see them do something on your own, you're like, yeah, good job. <laughs> yes. So um, what are the differences? The differences. <laughs> the, okay, so the differences in teaching kids and adults, oh, gosh, kids are more, um, accepting of, you know, concepts and adults are, yeah, like you had mentioned, you know, there's, 
they have to unlearn stuff. And the unlearning isn't necessarily concepts. It's, it's more of along the lines of bad habits or, mm-hmm. you know, limiting beliefs. Yeah. Um, and things like that. Uh, I've worked with a lot of adults uh, um, this last summer who have been creative all of their lives, but never really had act or never really had an art class before, mm-hmm. or maybe they took art classes, but they just didn't have the time to devote mm-hmm. to, to their art. And um, it, it's, it's really cool to be able to help those um, that are older kind of progress in their path towards their career aspirations. Yeah. And, and then to see them make those goals happen. Like I just recently had a student, um, Kevin Bell, who um, told me the other day that he is retiring from his job and is going to start working as a full-time freelance illustrator. Um, And yeah, he had just um, um, gotten his first book deal as an illustrator. So, and and I'm really excited to say that I was there to help him Mm -hmm. through that process. It was one of, you know, many people who were, who was there to help him through that process. But I think, Adults know stuff. Kids don't. Mm-hmm. So you are giving kids the first information. Yeah. And adults, you have to like unlearn and and, and tell them not to do certain things. Whereas kids, mm-hmm. it's like you just they're just they're a clean slate, you know. Yeah. Except except for the kids who are like um, the kids who I have a challenge with, and I don't know if you've seen this, is the kids who are, are like super creative. And the kids that are super creative, they are judging everything based mm-hmm. on what's in their, in their head. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you show them how to draw something and they go, well, it's not good. And everyone's looking at it going, oh my God, this is fantastic. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Like, no, because mm-hmm. it doesn't match what's in here. Right. Because those creative kids can see what's in their brain and they, they know what they want it to look like. Mm-hmm. but they're not able to get it. Whereas a lot of kids are just like, oh, look at that. I did this. Like, <laughs> right. I had no idea, you know? And it's it's the truly creative gift. I don't want to say gifted because we're all gifted and, it, and mm-hmm. you know, talent is, it, it's an ability to to create something that you can work on. Um, but the, the kids that are truly imaginative who have that kind of right brain strength already in them, they're the ones that are the challenging ones because you're working on um, helping them to get what's already in their brain out and then to not judge that in the process. Because we're all, you know, we're all hard on well, ourselves. Well, I have experience with me. So like I was a child where I had this clown in my head and I can never get it on paper. I'm like, that's not how it looks in my head though. <laughs> yeah. So, but then you're like, fast forward to an adult and you're like, oh yeah, foundation of stuff is important, but it was boring when I was doing it. <laughs> so I kind of sped through it and like, oh, okay, maybe I should go back and learn the foundational part. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I'm one of those people where it, like, if it's really hard, it's easy, but if it's simple, it's hard or boring. <laughs> So like I learned how to crochet when I was nine and I didn't create a scarf until I was in college. <laughs> like really? I, I, I tried to do like house shoes, hats, purses. I didn't create a scarf Wait, until so, somebody asked me to create a scarf in college. <laughs> okay, but you, okay, so you, let me get this straight. So you learned how to crochet when you were nine and you crocheted all kinds of things. 
but not. Yeah, I cr- they were like lopsided, but I like did like house shoes, hats, like. <laughs> but you know, the scarf is like dresses, <laughs> like teapot cozies, like and they Kleenex were like, box covers, like lopsided and bulky and stuff until I got good, but or decent. Like I would never really got good, good, but yeah, I didn't create a scarf till. So I'm like straight to like hard or detail, which when I'm learning to sculpt and stuff, I have to be like, okay, form first <laughs> and then form, 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 and then detail. <laughs> yep. It's all about the, the big to little, big to little concepts, you know, and, and that's hard for a lot of artists too. I know, um, a lot of young artists, especially in high school, um, they're drawing, they're doing their own thing. They enjoy doing their own thing and they just want to do their own thing. And that's great. Do your own thing. Um, but do you want to know how to draw things from your mind or draw things from observation or draw hands or draw feet or, you know, do you want to be able to, to paint in a, in a realistic way? Maybe you don't, but you know, understanding how to do those things, um, the foundations of the foundational skills of art, you know, understanding form, understanding shape, understanding structure, um, understanding tone, light, value, color, theory, all those things. Um, Yeah, those are concepts. Those are basic principles of art. And if you can understand those, those will help you do your own thing even stronger. But it's, it's, is it boring? Mm, Maybe. But it's like, you know, learn like we got to draw like 20 circles. Like, uh, can I just draw one? <laughs> no, you have to draw 100. <laughs> that's what we did in my, that's the literally the first assignment in my drawing for animators and illustrators class. I, I show them how to draw a perfect circle. And they have to draw 100. And they have to be perfect. Now that I have the knowledge, I'll be more open to it. But like back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Nobody wants to do it because it's boring. You know, but it, it all depends on what you want to do, you know. So, yeah. So let's do a couple more questions. Um, as a former member of the animation industry and a teacher, what have you decided is your purpose in regard to blackness and black professionals in animation? Well, um, my mission with OCR Studios now is to uplift and educate as many black artists as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, because of it's important to to have a diverse um, talent pool mm-hmm. in the animation industries and the illustration industries, and it's important to have those stories be told. And as an educator, I see my role as you know being able to help um, increase the talent pool in that way, and that's basically what I'm dedicated to. And I and I do. And it started in a in a very organic way, but um, mm-hmm. that's that's where I see the need right now. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of been dedicating my uh, educational resources to to that and offering free scholarships for Black artists mm-hmm. to take classes uh, with OCR Studios so that they can in you know increase their skill set and learn their knowledge um, and have access to mentorship mm-hmm. with with uh, people in the industry so that they can, you know, so that they can have a chance. That's, that's my goal. When I was doing my research, I read one article and it quoted you, but then 
it was like, as a bracket woman of color, I was like, she probably said black right there. <laughs> and so I was like, why do people have so much trouble with the word black? And so why is black important? Like, cause you know, some people, even like when, 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 whether it's like white people or maybe other people are talking about black people and they say people of color and it's like, nope, we're, t I'm, t I'm saying black. <laughs> like, black so what so why is black important at well the, at least at this time at this time well okay so this is interesting because like i would have said like five years ago before the trump era it it i didn't feel like it was as important mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. having obama as the first president was huge you know and there was just so much um there was so much hope and possibility. And it sounds silly to say that because that's what he basically was screaming from the treetops was hope, but, <laughs> but it's true. So then, then counter that with this man who comes in, who doesn't know anything about anything and mm -hmm. is now putting targets on the backs of people who are different from him. Mm -hmm. um, I strongly identified as a black woman Mm -hmm. more in the Trump era than I ever had because mm -hmm. I felt as though I was targeted. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you felt the same way um, mm -hmm. as a woman and as a black woman. Um, and I was living in the South. <laughs> and you're living in the South. I mean, come on. So I didn't necessarily, I, and I never necessarily strongly identified myself as a black woman. You know, I'm biracial, half mm -hmm. Filipino, half black. And for the longest time, I didn't even know where I could fit in. You know, I actually in, in college, I was more uh, involved with the Filipino student union than I was with the black student union. Um, my Filipino family um, was really close. You know, um, my my father's side, my, my black father, his family lives on the other side of the, the country and I on the East Coast and I, I, I don't see them very often. So I'm not very connected to them. I grew up in Orange County. It was the only chocolate chip in the cookie. So like, I didn't know a whole lot of other black people. Mm -hmm. I, all of my friends were white, you know? Um, most of my friends are still white. <laughs> so, um, and that's why like when I opened up my classes to like, black scholars and then seeing my zoom screen with all these beautiful black faces it was just like I, it made me want to cry because mm -hmm. it was the first time i really felt like i had a community that i was kind of creating that was supportive yeah. where i could see myself mm -hmm. um and that was really important so i never really identified strongly as a black woman until i felt like i had to stand up for my rights as mm -hmm. a black woman and even my my stepmother, who is half black, um, half Korean, mm -hmm. she doesn't identify as Korean at mm -hmm. all. She identifies as black. She grew up mm -hmm. in LA, mm -hmm. and you know she grew up in a black family, and um, she was adopted and um, grew up in in a black family and in a black community. So she, that's how she feels, you know, and 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 I guess that's that's the thing about identity is that you can you know, it's rules, it's names, it's labels, but it's where mm -hmm. you feel comfortable. And, and right. at least for me, I identified as black because I felt like I needed to stand up for myself and, mm -hmm. and along with everyone else in, you know, in our community to say like, this is, this is wrong. 
this is yeah. just what is happening. The world is wrong. So last question. Um, if someone was producing a documentary about you, what things would you want them to highlight about your life outside of your work in animation or your or your career? Like what other th stuff would you like them to highlight? Oh my God. Um, probably just how resilient I am, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that you know, there's a lot of obstacles. People always have obstacles that they have to deal with. And um, I think that I just, anything that focuses on my resiliency mm -hmm. would be good in the face of adversity. Yeah. Your documentary be could be called La Resilient <laughs> instead of Larissa. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I like that. <laughs> Cool. So I would like to thank you for coming on my platform and allowing me to highlight you. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been really great talking with you, Deborah. <laughs> so to everyone out there, I want you to like, so I know it's real. Comment and tell me how you feel. Subscribe to Seal the Deal and sign up for post notifications to show your deal. And I'll see you in the next video. Peace.